Hello, friends. This is Scott Pauley, and I'm thrilled you've joined us for the Weekend Pulpit. From time to time, it's my privilege to share a Bible message that God has used to affect my life in a unique way. And today's message from God's Word is from a guest preacher and someone that is very special to me. I hope you'll get your Bible and follow along as we listen for the Lord to speak to our hearts. I'd like for you to go with me into the Gospel of Matthew, and we'll go to chapter number 6, Matthew chapter number 6 this evening. We'll read just a few verses here in Matthew chapter number 6, and uh, then uh, we'll uh, from there perhaps cover all most of this chapter, and so I'm praying that God will use it. Uh, in in your heart and in your life uh, this evening. Uh, Matthew chapter number 6, we'll begin reading uh, in verse 33. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33. But seek ye first. Notice that word. Would you say it with me? Seek ye first. Let's say it again. But seek ye First, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Would you bow with me in prayer and let's ask. God's Spirit to speak to us through His Word. Our Father, we thank You for the opportunity that You've given us yet again to be together tonight. Thank You for all of the effort that's been made by Your people to be here today, uh, to make the extra effort to come to Your house and to hear from You. We thank You for those who are watching online And we pray that you would use your word in our lives, that you would stir our hearts this evening afresh and anew with the message that you have for us in this hour. I pray that you would fill me with thy Holy Spirit, enable me and empower me to communicate your truth, and help us, Lord, in our hearts as we are uh, hearing the truth, to receive the truth, and to respond in obedience to it. We thank you for Dave and Gail Washington and how you're using them. And Lord, knowing them these many years, I know that this is a passion in their heart to teach children. And so I pray that you'll bless and use them as they're giving the lesson. I pray that you would work in the hearts of the young people in this church and those who are gathered tonight. In a, in a special way, may your presence be manifest. We pray for those who may be serving in other areas of ministry tonight, maybe in the nursery or whatever the need may be, that you would fill them with your spirit, empower them. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And for his sake, we pray it. Amen. The Bible says here in verse 33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, when I read that statement, two very important questions immediately come to mind. Number one, what does it mean to seek the kingdom of God? 
and his righteousness. If someone were to ask you, well, what does that mean? Well, do you think you could explain it? Well, it means that our primary interest, first of all, our primary interest in this life should be to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, what is the kingdom of God? Well, we know that the Lord Jesus is a king, right? And he has a people. And in the Old Testament, he called out a nation, the nation of Israel. He made a promise to Abraham that through his seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. He made a promise that his seed would be innumerable as the grains of sand upon the shore or the stars in the sky. Now, just in the little bit of area that I was in today, to count the grains of sand would have been an impossible task. God is saying to Abraham, I'm going to give you a seed without number. And the Bible teaches us that those of us who are Gentiles but who know Christ, we are by faith the children of Abraham. We are a part of the family of God. God is a king. Jesus is our king. And he has a people. And he has a place. In fact, we look for that new place. The new heavens and the new earth and that new Jerusalem that he is fashioning in heaven that will come down and we will dwell with him. You see, the Lord Jesus is a king. Now, as a king, he has a people and a place, but he has an enemy. Every king has an enemy, and we know who the enemy is. It's the devil. He walketh about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He wants to destroy the work of the kingdom. And you and I who know the Lord, you and I who are uh, those who have entered into that kingdom, and by the way, how do you enter into that kingdom? Maybe you're here this evening, and you're not sure if you're in that kingdom. The only way to enter into that kingdom is by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. You enter into that kingdom by confessing that you're a rebel to the king. You're a sinner for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And that as a sinner, we deserve what the Bible teaches is the wages of sin, which is death. Not only physical death, but spiritual death eternally in a place called hell. But Jesus Christ... The king came in the form of a servant, and he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So here is a king who came to serve us and to save us and to deliver us from the penalty of death and hell. And we become subjects of his kingdom, people of his kingdom, part of his family, citizens of heaven by faith by acknowledging our sin and by confessing him as Savior. If you haven't done that, you need to do that. And the invitation is extended to all people. For whosoever will, Jesus said, let him come unto me. So that invitation is to all people. And we who know Christ, we have received that invitation. We've responded to it in faith. And now we are soldiers of the cross. We are fighting in the kingdom. We are ambassadors for Christ. We represent him. Our, our battle, though, is not against flesh and blood. It's not against the people that we live among. No, our battle is against Satan and spiritual forces. 
our, our ministry of reconciliation, our ambassadorship that has been committed to us is to be conducted and carried out in this life on this earth as we proclaim the message of the gospel to a lost and dying world. That is the responsibility that we have been charged with. That is our place of service in the kingdom. As soldiers resisting the devil, as ambassadors proclaiming the message of our king. Now, we are living in the kingdom. Therefore, we are to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And we cannot seek it if we have not come to him by faith, believing in him, repenting of our sin, and being saved. And then yielding our life to him after we've been saved in service. So to seek him first means that our primary interest in life should be to seek after the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I want to ask you a question. What is of the utmost importance to you this evening? What is important to you this week? What is it that is becoming the predominant driving force in your life? Uh, we know that in recent years, uh, those influences and those things that are important uh, are beginning to be redefined. But typically, what most people are concerned with primarily is self. Am I happy? Are my needs being met? Are my goals and my dreams being fulfilled? Do I like my job? Am I happy with my spouse? Do I like my house? Am I comfortable? Do I have a nice vacation planned? These are things that really have come to the forefront, forefront rather, of our hearts and minds and are definitely at the forefront of American culture. We want to be comfortable. And anything that makes us uncomfortable, well, we just don't have room for it. Well, Jesus said, wait a minute. Your primary aim, your primary goal, your primary interest in life should be my kingdom and my righteousness. That's what it means to seek the kingdom of God. Romans chapter 12, Paul wrote this. I, I read it to you last night. I'll read it again, Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. Often we hear this, it's my body, I can do what I want to with it. Well, if you know the Lord, you understand it's not your body. Number one, it's his because he created it. Number two, it's his because he redeemed it. You belong to him. And the Bible teaches us that if we know the Lord, we're to present our bodies to him as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service, and that we're not to be conformed to this world. He said, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove that, that that is that you would live it out that you would demonstrate it through your life what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God now I, I see three things here I see sacrifice I'm to give myself to the Lord are you willing to do that that means my time 
That means my Sunday is the Lord's day. That means Monday night of revival, I've given my time. You say, well, we're here, Pastor. That's right, you are, and thank you for it. My finances, uh, the days of ministry, visitation and witnessing uh, that are scheduled in this church. I am to yield myself to the Lord. I am to be interested in his kingdom. I am to give of my energy and my talent and my finances. I am to sacrifice. Then I am to serve. He said, this is your reasonable service. It's not something out of the ordinary. It's just reasonable for us to give of ourselves and our time and our talents. Now let me tell you, one of the most difficult places for our church to get workers I bet you could, you could guess it if I gave you three tries. The nursery. It's so difficult to get people to come to the nursery. And also, we've struggled getting everybody back into the choir since uh, the COVID situation. Now, these are aspects of service. Jesus, in front of his disciples, took a baby up into his arms and said, if you receive this child, you receive me. Now, I can't think of a, of a ministry that gives us more opportunity to receive children and receive Christ like the ministry of the nursery. But it becomes an inconvenience. It becomes something that we don't really enjoy because we're looking at it all wrong. It's an opportunity to serve God. I remember when I went to Tabernacle about 14 years ago and I met with the deacons and members of the pulpit committee, and they said to me, we want to reach young families. It was important to them. And I'm glad it was important to them. Well, do you know that if we want to reach young families, we have to have a nursery. We have to have a ministry for children. And it ought to be at the forefront of our priorities to serve God, to be in our place, not to be casual about it, not to be slipshod about it, not to be dismissive about it. What a privilege, what an honor, what a joy it is to serve the King of Kings in a real and tangible way in the nursery. Now you may not think of it that way, but that's exactly the way it is. It's a service to Christ. To sing in the choir, to be in your place. It's such an important thing. Sacrifice, service, sanctification. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Are you growing? Is God changing you? Are you becoming more like Christ? That's what it means to seek Him first. Now, the second question that comes to my mind is primarily the question I want to address tonight, and it is, how are we to seek Him? I think we understand what that means, but how is it that we are to do it? And so in this text, we're going to note three ways that we can seek, first, the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And if you've got a pen and a paper, I hope you write them down. Number one, seek Him sincerely. Seek Him sincerely. Now, we'll go back to verse number one. And we won't read all of these verses, but we're really going to cover verses one through 18. Because in verses one through 18, the Lord Jesus deals with the question of our motive. 
Our motive. What is our motive in our devotion? What is our motive in our service to Christ, our love for Him, our willingness to serve? Now, let me just tell you, if your motive is anything other than what the Lord is going to reveal to us, then you won't make it long. And that's why several don't. So this question of motive, it is a very important question. Now let's look at an example we have concerning giving. We find it in verse number one. Take heed that ye do not your alms. Now that alms, that, that's our giving, all right? So it would be like receiving the offering here in the church. And Take heed that ye do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. Now, I, know that I notice there are offering boxes located at the back of the auditorium. And in our auditorium, you'll find offering boxes. And uh, that's something that was, you know, we've, we've uh, introduced as a result of the COVID situation, right? And so some churches are now beginning to receive offerings with plates the old-fashioned way. And some continue to do it this way. Uh, in, in that day, there was a treasury, and, and the, the Jews would come to the treasury, and, and they would give their alms, they would give their, their offering to the Lord, to the temple. And the Lord says here, he gives us an example. Look again at verse 2. When thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets. So imagine now, are you with me? Imagine one of the members of the Columbia Road Baptist Church got up and blew a trumpet, played a harmonica, strummed a guitar, and started singing, I'm going to give my money. Now you hear me sing, you know why I don't sing. And so... Uh, we would all be a little bit, you know, we would look at this guy and we would think, what in the world is he doing? And we would know immediately why he was doing it. He was doing it so that he could call attention to himself and we would see him giving and he might, you know, drop in a lot of coins and we could hear the coins falling into the box or he could, you know, pull out a big wad of cash and, you know, it, that slot's really not big enough for all of it and he'd have to, you know, just be there for a while and playing the horn and the instrument and letting us know that he's a big giver and he's a good guy. This is what was happening. And here's what Jesus said. Don't do that. Don't do that because your motive isn't right. Your motive is to be seen of men. And notice what Jesus says here in verse number 2. He says, Verily I say unto you, the close of verse 2, they have their reward. <laughs> what is their reward? Well, it's a short-lived reward. People get to see them giving. And they think, wow. Aren't they great? Or they might think, wow, aren't they silly? Verse 3, but when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret. So in other words, I'm not to make a show of this. It's not my job to tell everybody how much I give. Oh, did you hear about what I did hmm? for the church? Yeah, yeah. Did you hear about that? 
No, that's not what I'm to do. I am to give in secret because my Father seeth in secret and he will reward me openly. God's promised to bless me. He said, prove me now therewith, speaking of the tithe, if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing and there will not be room enough to contain it. Now, do you believe God's word is true? Say amen. Amen. Well, if you do, then you're going to be faithful in your giving. But you're not going to be doing it to be seen of men. The second area is prayer. Notice it in verse 5. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Uh, you remember the Lord gave the, the illustration of the man who uh, was praying. I think it was a Pharisee or one of the scribes was praying. And he said, Lord, I'm thankful that I'm not like this fellow. And he was pointing over there to the publican. And uh, he was proud of himself. And he was so great, grateful for his, uh, his uh, devotion to God. You see, uh, what, what these people, these people that the Lord is speaking of here in verses 5 and 6 and also verses 1 through 4 is that they in their expression of their devotion portrayed a picture that they were extremely devoted to God, that they were seeking first His kingdom. But the truth of the matter is they weren't seeking first His kingdom. They were seeking first their own. Because they loved to be called rabbi and master. They loved to be acknowledged by men. And by the way, so do we. And that's why we get discouraged sometimes when we're serving and there doesn't seem to be a lot of appreciation. Or there doesn't seem to be a lot of uh, fruit that is appearing automatically for us. And, And we begin to wonder, well... Uh, maybe my, my talents and my gifts would be better used somewhere. Listen, that is the thought of the flesh, and that is a thought that Satan will use to keep you from serving God. What is your motive in your service to the Lord? Now, in verses 16 through 18, he deals with the subject of fasting. Here they are. They're neglecting, their, 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 they're neglecting themselves in eating so that they can give themselves to devotion to the Lord. And the Bible says in verse 16, When ye fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear unto men to fast. So these guys, when they would enter into their fast, they would, just, you know, they would look sad and forlorn and, and everybody go, Oh, yeah, well, what's wrong with him? Oh, he's probably fasting. You know, he's that kind of guy. He, he's, just, he's just such a devoted guy. He's fasting. But the Lord says, when thou fastest, verse 17, anoint thine head, wash thy face, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. So what is the Lord speaking about here? He's speaking about motive. What is our motive in serving God? And if your motive is anything other than His worth, you know, the word worship means worthy God is worthy of our devotion. 
So if you're serving in the choir to get the accolades of men, you're not going to last long. If you're serving in the nursery uh, just so people will think you're a pretty good person or that the kids will love you, if you're teaching those, those children in the, in the Sunday school thinking that they're going to really listen to everything you say, uh, you're, you're not going to make it long. Now they're going to hear more than you think. But if your motive is a self-serving motive and not a completely selfless, dedicated, sanctified motive that says Jesus is worthy. He's worthy of me being at church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night of revival, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, being engaged in ministry, giving my tithes and offerings, yielding myself to him. If he's not worthy, then your motive isn't right. So we have to examine our motive. What is our motive in serving God? Now that's an age-old question. There was a time when the devil came to present himself to the Lord. And uh, God says, Satan, where have you been? And he says in Job chapter 1 and verse number 7, from going to and fro in the earth, from walking up and down in it. In verse 8, the Bible says, And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? I can see a smile on the face of God, can't you? Satan, what have you been doing? Well, I've been walking up and down. I've been looking at how sinful these people are. <laughs> these people that you created, they're in utter rebellion against you. And the Lord said, Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Have you... Went to Job's house. Job loves me. Job is devoted to me. Could God say that of you? Well, the devil said, well, let me tell you something, Lord. He says in verse 9, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast thou made a hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land. No wonder he serves you. You take such good care of him. Verse 11. But put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath and he will curse thee to thy face. He said, listen, you take that hedge down and let me tell you what Job will do. He'll walk away from you. Do you know what the devil was saying? He was saying, God, you're not worthy of worship. Now, the devil had already made up his mind. He wasn't. That's how he fell from heaven, right? He said, God, you're not worthy of worship. And so in verse 12, the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power only upon himself. Put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. Now, do you know what happened? In one moment, everything changed in Job's life. The oxen were gone. The donkeys were gone. The sheep were gone. The camels, all gone. Imagine if you went home tonight and it was all gone. Would Jesus still be worthy? But worst of all, someone came in and said, the children are gone. The Bible tells us in Job 1 and verse 20, Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped. You think you'd show up for church the day after that happened? 
Job did. And here's what he said. Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Listen to this now. What an amazing statement. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, you know, Job had no idea what was going on. But every angel in heaven was watching. And every demon in hell was watching. They wanted to hear what Job had to say. Because the devil said, God, you're not worthy. And Job said, oh, yes, he is. Even when the hedge is down. I wonder what is our motive tonight in serving Jesus. Seek him sincerely. Let me give you a second thought. Seek him supremely. Seek him supremely. Look in verse number 19. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. You see, in this world in which we live, we've been so conditioned by prosperity and material goods, like the church at Laodicea, we think we're rich and have need of nothing, but we don't realize that we're wretched and poor and miserable and blind and lame. We have material goods, but our society is bankrupt spiritually, morally. The Lord said, seek me supremely. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. That word is an emphatic term that means first of all and before all. He said in verse 24, no man can serve two masters. By the way, this is our great dilemma. Two masters vying for the throne of our lives. One is our Savior, Jesus. The other is self. What I want. What I need. What about me? This is our dilemma. Is it God or man? Is it the Spirit? Or is it the flesh? Will we seek God? Or will we seek goods? Many in our world are seeking goods and have forsaken their pursuit of God. Now the Jews of Christ's day generally were preoccupied with things. John 6 shows us this, that once he fed them, the 5,000, they continued to follow him because they liked eating the bread and the fish. But when the Lord closed down the bread and the fish store, and said, I'm here not to feed you bread and fish. I'm here to address the need of your soul. I'm here to meet the need of the spirit. The words that I give you are spirit. The flesh profiteth nothing. The Bible says that from that day forward, many turned back and followed him no more. 
You see, as long as there's fish sandwiches, there will always be people to follow along. And they were primarily occupied with treasures, with food. They said, evermore, give us this bread. They wanted drink and clothing and necessities. An abundance of these things, however, do not produce lasting joy. And those who have an abundance of these things are often imprisoned by the things which they possess. And those who do not have those things but live a covetous life, wishing they had them, they can also be imprisoned by those things that they do not have. So our primary interest in life should not be things. It should be to seek after the Lord and his kingdom. Jesus said in Matthew 16 and verse 24, the Bible says in, in Matthew 16, 24, then said Jesus unto his disciples. Now who are his disciples? Let's, let's think about that. Who are the disciples of Christ? They are the followers of Christ. The apostles of the New Testament. Those who follow him. Let me ask you a question. Do you follow Jesus? Do you follow him? Well, we should be following him. That's what we profess to be, the followers of Christ. Jesus said, if any man will come after me, speaking to his disciples, let him deny himself. Well, I don't like that. Take up his cross and follow me, for whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. So the Lord gives us a paradox here. If we want to have life, we need to give it up. If we try to keep it and save it for ourselves, then we're going to lose it. We're going to lose it. Uh, you've, you've heard the story, I imagine, of a particular monkey that uh, they'll catch him. They'll put a, something in a basket that he wants. So I guess it's a piece of fruit or something of that nature. And... Um, He'll stick his hand in that basket to grasp that fruit. And when he makes his fist, he won't be able to pull his arm out. The only way he can get his hand out of that basket or that box, that snare that's been made, is if he lets go of that fruit. If he lets go, he can pull his hand out. But he refuses to let go. And so he's ensnared in that trap. That defines so many of us and so many in our world who think that things are going to bring them happiness and they're not willing to let them go. In Matthew chapter 19, uh, the Lord Jesus tells us of the one who came to him. In Matthew 19 and verse 16, And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good things shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. Jesus said, Wait a minute, you're calling me good master, a good rabbi, a good teacher, but I want you to know you're dealing, more, you're dealing with more than just a good man, you're dealing with God himself. This is what the Lord is addressing here to this young man. I'm not just some spiritual advisor, I am the Lord and Savior. Verse 18, he saith unto him, 
which, speaking of the commandments, Jesus said, Thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbors thyself. The young man saith unto him, All these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? What a question. Jesus didn't tell him he lacked anything. He knew he lacked it. He knew it because he had an idol in his heart. Let's look again. Verse 21, Jesus said unto him, if thou wilt be perfect, if that will be complete, if you really want to be my disciple, go and sell that thou hast and give to the poor and thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. You see those possessions had him. He was like that monkey with those possessions in his hand. He came to Jesus to acknowledge that he was a good teacher, but not that he was the son of God. And he was not willing, he was not willing to forsake everything and follow Jesus. He was not willing to seek him supremely. No, the supreme thing in his life was the idol of his possessions and his wealth. May God help us to seek him supremely above all other things. I want us to look at a third thought then as we think about how we're to seek him. We seek him sincerely. We seek him because he's worthy of our worship and our devotion. We seek him supremely above all things. He is first of all in order of importance. Nothing can compare to him. And then the question may come, well, wait a minute. If I seek him, do I have to give everything away? Well, in the case of the rich young ruler, that was what was holding him up. And he, couldn't, he could not imagine life apart from his possessions. But what he did not realize that when you have the person of Christ, you have everything you need. Now, if I looked at your bank account, which I wouldn't do, but let's imagine we put it up on the board. Some of you wouldn't want people to know how much money you have, and some of you wouldn't want people to know how much money you don't have, right? My wife and I, we're private natured. We don't, we just, you know, it's our business. We don't really care for people knowing it. And not because we've accumulated wealth, but because we've made a lot of dumb moves over the years. Not her, but me. When it comes to those areas of our lives, we, we tend to be very private, close to the vest. And we begin to wonder, well, how are we going to make it as, as you grow older? In the retirement years, as the economy worsens, and interest rates increase, and inflation increases, we begin to wonder, how are we going to make it? What if there's a catastrophe? What if I have a physical calamity? What if something happens and we get kind of tight? We hold on. We get a little afraid, a little insecure, a little concerned about how we're going to make it or if something were to happen. And what happens to us is we get paralyzed with fear. 
Now we're living in a climate of fear in our nation. A climate of fear. Well, notice what Jesus said. Look at verse 25. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment? What does Jesus say? Take no thought. Can I put it in plain English? Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Now that's hard for us to do, isn't it? I can say to my mom, don't worry, mom. It's going to be all right. I can say to a church member, don't worry, it's going to be all right. And then every once in a while they have to say to me, don't worry, pastor, it's going to be all right. We're just worry warts, aren't we? The Lord said, wait a minute. You don't have to take thought. You don't have to be concerned. Now, he gives us some things to consider, and I think this is important because I can't remember if I gave you this third point, but we're to seek him surely. We're to seek him surely. That means confidently. We're to seek him surely. Without doubt, without fear, without worry, I can rest and I can seek him and not have to have an answer to all the what-if questions. I can just follow Jesus and do what he wants me to do and be occupied in the work of the kingdom and bringing souls to Christ because when it's all said and done, it's not going to matter how much money I had in the bank. It's not going to matter who thought I was a good man or didn't. Or who liked my singing, or who liked my teaching, or who liked my preaching. All that's going to matter is that Jesus is glorified. So the Lord says, seek me surely. Now, there's some things he wants us to consider. I mean, this is a very rational, logical argument. Look at verse 26. Behold the fowls of the air. You see those birds flying over there? I can imagine as Jesus was teaching, those birds were flying. You see them, he said, for they sow not. You don't see them plowing the ground and sowing seeds in the ground. Neither do they reap. You don't see them, you know, carrying their, their harvest bags out and picking uh, the, the fruit of the ground. Nor do they gather into barns. Yet, your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? He said, I want you to know something. God takes care of those birds. And if God can be trusted to take care of those birds, he can be trusted to take care of you. Those birds aren't made in the image of God. You are. Jesus didn't taste death for those birds, but he tasted death for you. Are you not much better than they? Look at verse 27. Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? Now, you know, we all wish we looked different, right? Here's somebody that's a little short and wishes they were taller. But worrying about it, it's not going to make you taller, right? <laughs> it's not going to make you skinnier. <laughs> I can attest to that for sure. It's not going to put hair on your head. That's another area I can attest to. <laughs> you know, as I said last night, you don't see many people with a bumper sticker on their car saying worry changes things, right? Oh, we can rest 
Consider that he feeds the birds of the air. Consider, verse 28, that he clothes the lilies of the field. Now I can imagine all the people are there and they, they've been looking at the birds and then Jesus says, uh, look at those flowers over there. Aren't they beautiful? Look at how beautiful those flowers are. Verse 28, why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not. Neither did they spin. You don't see them at the spinning wheel with all their yarn and all their fabric and uh, all of the, all of the, the, the uh, thread that is needed. You don't see that. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? What a reproof. Wake up, he says. Look at the flowers. You're worried about following me, that you're not going to have food to eat, that you're not going to have clothes, that you're not going to have a car, that you're not going to have shelter. Seek me first, and all these things shall be added unto you. You know what that does? That frees me. That takes the pressure off of me. Yes, I got to go to work. Yes, I got to do what I need to do. But my primary calling is to serve my Savior. Consider this. He knows the needs you have. Look at verse 31. Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things did the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. You have a Father in heaven. He loves you, and He knows what you need. He knows exactly what you need. Now sometimes we think we need things, and we find out later we don't really need them. And we want them, but the Father knows we don't need them. But He always supplies exactly what we need, doesn't He? He's proven that to you time and time again. And then this, consider that He's promised to meet your needs. Verse 33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things not could be added unto you, might be added unto you, but what's the word, church? Shall be added unto you. Do you believe that? You believe that? God said it will be added unto you. It shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow. <laughs> for the morrow should take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. You see, God knows your needs and He knows how they should best be met. He cares for you and He cares about your needs. He hears your prayers and He knows the desires of your heart. He supplies your needs according to His riches and glory. So we don't have to walk around in paralysis thinking, you know, when I get in a better position, I'll start giving. Well, when I get more time, I'll start serving. No, you just serve and seek Jesus first and He will take care of you. That's what the Bible says. In Matthew 7 the Lord gives an illustration of this. He says, what man is there of you, in verse 9, what man is there of you whom if his son asks bread, will he give him a stone? Imagine a father whose little boy comes to him and says, Dad, I'm hungry. Can I have a piece of bread? Well, here, son, here's a rock. What a cruel thing that would be. Verse 10, or if he asks a fish, will he give him a serpent? Well, the answer is obviously no. 
If ye then being evil, mean, meaning being sinful, sinners, know how to give good gifts unto your children. I mean, even sinners love their kids for the most part. Now we know there's some who don't. But primarily, they do. It's naturally in, uh, in them to do so. And they care for them. How much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask Him? I've got more confidence in God than I do in any man in this room. And I think there's some good men in this room. But God will not let me down. He will not fail me. I can trust Him. Because lovingly and lavishly He will meet my temporal needs and He will meet my eternal needs. So what do we do with this passage? Seek you first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Can I ask you a question? Can you be honest with the Lord tonight? What is it that you're seeking first? What is it that you're waiting on to serve God? What is it that's holding you up and deterring you from doing what you need to do? Is the kingdom of God your foremost concern? If it's not, it needs to be. How about your motive? Are you seeking Him sincerely? Maybe you're discouraged because you haven't been appreciated in your service. Well, maybe that's just God showing you that your motive isn't right. Maybe you're doing something because you want people to know you're doing it. There's a lot of preachers who do that. I've been there. Seek Him sincerely because He's worthy. No strings attached. Seek Him supremely above all things. God's not interested in vying for your affection or your attention. He is all in all. Seek Him surely. Are you worried? Jesus says, take no thought. Worry is futile. But faith is fruitful. Let's trust God. Let's serve Him. He is worthy. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. There's nothing like the preaching of God's Word to bring comfort and conviction at the same time. I wonder, what will you do with what you've heard today? We would love to hear from you and pray with you. You may contact us at enjoyingthejourney.org. That's enjoyingthejourney.org. I hope you'll be faithful to attend a Bible preaching church wherever you are this Lord's Day. And then join us as we continue our devotional study of the Word of God on enjoying the journey in the new week. May God bless you and thank you for listening.